Welcome everyone to the Prendamano podcast. We're joined today by Thomas Hopes. Thomas is a investor in, well, he's an investor and he's also a realtor who represents investors down in central Texas. And he's an affordable housing specialist, something that we've talked about quite a bit on the show. And, and I'm always happy to take a deep dive on. Thomas, thank you so much for taking the time out today and joining us. How are we doing today? I'm doing pretty good, James. I'm just glad that I could be on and join you today. Yeah, well, we're excited to have you, and, and we appreciate it. I know everyone is busy, and everyone's got a million things going on these days. So, you know, <laughs> you're taking the time to spend uh, spend a few hours or an hour with us and share some of your information with the audience. I, I think it's going to be really valuable. Um, you know, uh, so you you do some work with Tefki, correct? Yes, sir. I work with um, Tefki Real Estate here in Central Texas. So I had Matt on um, maybe a month or two ago. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. We ran down the platform. Uh, great guy, and and I wish you guys the best of luck there. Um, so let let's let, let's kind of go back here to the beginning. Real, I'm always fascinated because I found that there's like common threads uh, for for people who are in real estate, and especially someone like yourself that seems to have multiple different disciplines, and and you you appear to be involved in a number of different areas. There, there's always these common threads, uh, you know that make up who we are. And, and I was wondering if, if you could share with the audience, give us a little background. Uh, get, you know, how did we end up, you know, in, in the real estate space, in the investment space, and, and specifically the affordable housing space? Absolutely. Um, so James, for me, I always start with a story that's personal to me. And it's a story about my high school teacher in 12th grade, bringing in um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki and the game Robert Kiyosaki created, which is called Cashflow 101. And what this game taught me um, was basically a lot of the basics from Monopoly, um, but it basically took the basics from, from of Monopoly and added um, more of a real estate, real life scenario twist on it. And so when I got the opportunity to play this game, it actually began to open up my mind. I was trying to figure out, hey, what do I want to do after high school? I'm not sure if I want to go to college or can I go to college? Am I built for college? Do I have a, a job lined up if I don't go to college? So it was a little bit intimidating when I, when I reached that 12th grade year. So that book and that game that my teacher brought in, he really just opened me up and he told me, he said, hey, everyone um, doesn't get a scholarship and go off to college. Everyone doesn't go straight to a job, um, but some people go into careers or trades and trades are um, alternatives to these things that when with the right discipline, you can still make some great money um, just as much as people who are in college or who are um, in these well um, educated areas of life. And so I decided to go ahead and pursue it from that moment on. And I would say it took me a few years, but after those few years of um, attempting to go to community college and take on the real estate classes, I ended up um, sticking with the real estate. And once I completed those classes, it was, it was up and running from there. Um, and it was really important for me because growing up, um, I remember living in a duplex and I didn't realize it then, but I was always curious about house hacking and the Burr method. And so in this duplex, my mother would give me the rent checks and she'd say, hey, run this right next door to side A. We lived in side B. And I was like, okay. And so after a few times of doing that, I got curious. I was like, why are we taking the rent to our next door neighbor? 
And she was like, because he's the landlord. And I was like, huh? How is our landlord our neighbor? You know, and so from that, from that time, I was always a little curious about real estate. And so when I got older, got into the industry, learned about house hacking, learned about the birth strategy, learned about um, buying multifamily with um, FHA loans and things like that. It just started to trigger. And at that moment, I knew I'd been always kind of going in to this industry without even knowing. Um, it's, it's funny because I never lived in a house. Um, and so to be a realtor selling homes and now buying my first home to remodel is an entire experience for me. So that's fascinating for me uh, on a number of levels. So we, we have a book club here and we, we recently did Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, you're the first person who I've ever had on the show or I've ever spoken with that said a teacher actually introduced Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Was that part of curriculum or was this just a cool teacher that was doing extra work? Or how did that come to be? This teacher was definitely off the grid. He, he actually stopped teaching to, to follow his passion in music. He was, um, he's big on music and also a guitar player. Um, but I will always remember Chris Gleason bringing in Rich Dad, Poor Dad and internet to, introducing that to me and a few other, um, a lot of other kids, you know, and that, that changed my life for forever. Well, shout out to Chris Gleason, wherever he may be, because, yes. you know, w one of the things that we took away from that book uh, was there's no curriculum that addresses financial literacy. This Correct. is, uh, there are, it's a book full of basic elements and some some not so basic but they're primarily basic elements that until you take the time to really pull back the curtain on you don't fully understand and it gives you a it, for anyone who hasn't read rich dad poor dad you have to read it it's an absolutely yeah. amazing book that shines the light in a few areas where we really need to be shining the light and for us well, we actually ended up, we're, we're building out a, a really comprehensive institute, uh, and it's it's been so heavily focused on the deal side. We said we have to include a whole section here on financial literacy. Like, these are things that nobody is teaching, and they absolutely should. And, and you know, everyone we chat with, we can't figure out for the life of us why they haven't incorporated financial literacy into core curriculum, you know, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, start this stuff early, give people an understanding of the time value of money, trading time for money, and the, the basic principles of real estate investing. And it's just absent from at least any curriculum I've ever seen. Uh, and I, I really applaud Chris for, for good reason. In. Yeah, right. Well, well, that's that's a that's a whole nother discussion, right? And I think you're, you're you're absolutely right for good reason. And that's scary stuff. But you know, the we've been given an opportunity with this technology now, right? You and I wouldn't have connected if we didn't have access to the tools that we have today. Uh, and I think the more that folks like us get together and talk, the more that we can effectuate change and the more that we can start looking under, you know, underneath the mattress a bit saying, why isn't this stuff in the schools? Why isn't this part of core curriculum? Uh, and you're absolutely right, man. It, it's, it, it's a tremendous book. Uh, for, even now, I, I've been in, in real estate for 20, I don't know, 23, 24, 25 years. It was eye-opening for me 
to go I, through that. I book. couldn't pinpoint that. <laughs> Man, you know, it's, it's it, as we went through it, I just found myself highlighting and highlighting and highlighting. Like this principle has got to be in the Institute. This has got to be in the Institute. This, it, it was, it was one of my favorite books. Uh, and, and it's had a profound impact on me, a profound impact on the team. Uh, so it's great to hear that you were exposed to that at an early age. And that makes a lot of sense now. You know, for you to, to have that exposure in the 12th grade, I could see certainly why it's, it began to set your course on being involved as an entrepreneur and being involved in, in real estate. So um, you're, you're investing and you're doing, a, I don't know how the acronym is pronounced, but it's T-S-A-H-C. It's the Texas, um, it's a, the affordable housing acronym essentially for Texas, correct? Sure. Oh, TSAC. That's correct. TSAC. Okay, so TSAC. Texas right. State Affordable Housing Corporation. Got it. Mm -hmm. So are you working on the buyer side, the landlord side, the, the tenant side? Where are you specializing your efforts at this point? Sure. Well, specifically with TSAC, I'm actually one of their um, Travis County um, buyer's agents that's um, signed up with them. So if you go to their website and you're searching Travis County and you're looking for a realtor in the area, you're gonna find me and maybe a, a handful of other agents. Um, and what we do is we partner with lenders who specialize in down payment assistance programs in this area and all over Texas, of course. But um, the lender who's approved for the down payment assistance and myself kind of work hand in hand tag team to um, guide these clients or client through this, this buying process. Typically it's first time home buyers. Um, and if it's not first time home buyers, it's people who are curious about the program or if they could buy again after they've purchased their first home or if they can possibly get some sort of assistance because in some circumstances, they actually provide up to 5% um, down payment assistance, which is great for those who are closing on deals with FHA, which are about three or 3.5%. So I, I noticed you have a slick portal. Uh, part of the challenge, folks, right, is, is for a first-time home buyer uh, and a first-time home buyer that's trying to navigate the affordable process. Sometimes it can be daunting. It can be confusing. Um, it's not as easy to source the resources that are available when they are available. Uh, so Thomas has a site that you can go to and we'll share it uh, in the link with the show where you can essentially enter your information and the site will help identify programs that are available to help you source the money for the transaction, correct? That's correct. Okay. That's correct. I have a down payment assistance website where it doesn't take any um, um, in-depth information like your social security number but it'll ask basic information that you can plug in about your your neighborhood location income and it'll just kind of give you an idea of what kind of down payment assistance programs you may qualify for or that you could at least start to ask lenders about so you are specifically asking about programs that are um, aligned with your goals and, and your is that a is that a website, sorry, Thomas, is that a website that is built in conjunction with TSACs or is that a separate site that you build? Um, what uh, TSAC does along with the um, Texas, um, um, Texas Realtors, um, Austin Board of Realtors, is they provide us with um, a personalized website for these particular transactions. So it's kind of separate from TSAC, 
but a lot of the programs lead right back to TSAC. Got it. Got it. So folks can go there, register, get an idea about uh, potential down payment assistance programs and potential programs from a lending perspective that are available to help conclude the transaction. Now, are, are you working with investors for affordable housing product as well? Um, I wouldn't necessarily say in that aspect, um, but what we're doing with um, um, investors and new investors is those who are financially challenged. Uh, we've actually put together a private investment group here in Austin, Texas, and um, I-35 corridor, which is our, our one of our major highways. So from Dallas to um, Austin to San Antonio and Houston, we actually have um, agents and brokers and relationships in these different areas. And what we do is when we see a project, we analyze it together. Any of those who are interested in the project, they pull their money together. And once pulling um, our money together, we create a strategy, whether that be for, for us to buy it, fix it, sell it, whether that be for someone to buy it and live in it or whatever alternative it might take. Because in some circumstances, people can't get traditional lending all the time. And that is one of the things that I became passionate about in real estate is when I learned about the unconventional ways to invest in real estate and the unconventional ways to actually own a real estate. And so that is what our private investment group does. We invite these people in and they find passive ways to get into real estate or they find ways to do group activity in real estate. Got it. Okay, so this is a group, and I, and I applaud you for for being a part and helping to pull it together, where uh, everyone's collaborating the way it should be. And if there's opportunities, um, you know, I guess there's an informal process you go through of who wants to participate and what that structure looks like. And these are passive investors, right? They're not actually getting involved in running the deal. So, actually, one of my, my clients who was my a first time home buyer and a passive investor has ended up partnering with me on one of our first fix and flip properties. So we're actually knocking out a fix and flip property together um, in Austin that we just decided, hey, we don't wanna passively invest on this next one because of the potential. One of my other partners who is someone I not only went to school with, but he actually began remodeling. And so he brought the deal, he had his cash locked up, he presented the deal to me. It had a great spread on it. I went to my, my partner who wanted to go in on a deal and we decided to pull our heads together. So we'll be kind of like a three-headed beast, me and her providing the, the financials and he'll actually be providing us step-by-step -step mentorship to do our first fix and flip together. Oh, that's great. Congratulations on that. Um, so Thank for, you. Thank for... you. Super excited and nervous at the same time. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's an exciting time, right? When you're, you're jumping into that first property. Uh, and for mm -hmm. those of you in the audience that are not familiar, the, the Burr method, which is kind of a buzzword for, for those of us in the business, but I know uh, many of the folks that are not in the game on the day-to-day -day basis may not be familiar. And, and we've talked about it before, but essentially it's buy, renovate, rent, refinance, repeat. Right? So the idea is, you know, Thomas has identified a deal where there was some capital needs, they're gonna acquire the asset, get in, uh, get the property to a, a point of completion where it's ready for occupancy. Uh, they go ahead, they 
rent it to a third party and then use that rental income to uh, to backstop the underwriting when they refinance and stabilize the asset. I assume at that point, you're gonna pull some cash out. Uh, you now have a performing asset. It's positive cash flow. Uh, you've, you've provided a home for somebody and you then take that money and you, you go and you do it again. That's correct. That's absolutely correct. Well, congrats it's, it's on it. It's a great way for, for people um, who are financially challenged to put their money to work in real estate. Yeah, and, and again, the tools that we have available today is making it easier and easier to connect the dots uh, between those in the industry and those that are not to give a, a, an opportunity and a pathway to invest. Well, you know, we've had some folks on that uh, started out on the show uh, where literally they either borrowed or uh, one guy even leveraged all, all of his credit cards. Uh, and he took cash advances across the board on his credit cards. He got into his first fix and flip. And now seven or eight years later, he's got a thousand doors under his belt. I believe it. I yeah. believe it. Once you, once you learn about creative ways to invest in real estate, you, you can't unlearn. It. And yeah. you get super excited and even challenged when you can't get real estate the traditional way. Because it just makes you say, oh I, oh, I can't do it this way. Well, what other way can I figure out? how to get this deal locked up or closed. Yeah, so if you're a problem solver, uh, you could do a lot of damage in, in that, that space. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. You know, we, we've, uh, we, we worked with a, a company, it was a family owned business for 25 years and we just went through the process of rebranding to pre-real uh, because we want to scale and, and backstop it with a fund and the fund will give agents in each of the locations the opportunity to do these things, to, to not only earn fees on, uh, on acquisitions, but give them the opportunity to have equity kickers and, and you know, more yes. deals through the pipeline. We feel like if we can uh, offer the agents that, that additional level of servicing where they know that there's a couple of hundred million dollars in, in the till behind the company, um, we think we could do some really unique things and it gives us a way to have access to these, these markets where, um, they're exploding. You know, how, how's the market down by you guys now? Um, Austin market is uh, on fire. Uh, it, like my broker and um, partner, Matt Tyfees always says it's opportunity city down here. And a lot of the economy in the nation is struggling, um, which is a, a little saddened in some areas. Um, um, and here in Texas, it's just a different animal. Um, it's, it's almost like Silicon Valley is moving to Texas. And so in the middle of the world being on fire, um, it's actually an opportunity for Austin because it's growing massively and rapidly. So part of what you're seeing down there, right, is a, a decentralization of real estate. You know, this is something that uh, we've been talking about since really the retail, uh, what I call the retail apocalypse. Um, as the retail brands began to see an opportunity to move out of some of these lost leader, you know, flagship stores where the rents were just unimaginably high uh, because they were in great traffic locations, tourist locations. Uh, and it was great exposure for them. And they found that they can reach people in the most intimate way, right? Right yeah. on their phone for a fraction of the price. 
um, we started to see a pullback in the major cities on the retail front. And then with the pandemic hitting, uh, obviously we're seeing the continuation of that now and, and across what feels like every single market segment, you're, you're seeing um, a new way, if you will, of working, right? People are, mm-hmm. are, are choosing to, uh, what was once frowned upon in corporate America, you know, where you need to be at your desk, you need to be here. That's, that's really changed a lot in the last year, year and a half. And, and, yeah. and the, the big companies are starting to say, you know, wait a minute, if we can pay folks, you know, a 20, 30% discount, uh, and we're still getting great, great work product, and they can go live uh, wherever they want to live, right? People started to right. decentralize and move to, to markets like Austin. Uh, and, you know, you're, you're, what you can do in, in some of these secondary markets financially, it's just amazing. People live amazing lives now. Uh, and it really did give people from a quality of life perspective an opportunity to go, hmm, there's a different way. You know, there's, there's a different way to do this thing. Uh, so are you guys forecasting down there? Is there any talk of a bubble or are they thinking that it's getting to the end of the run here or are they, they forecasting continued growth into the future? What's the, what's the overall outlook? I mean, my team and I, we talk about this all the time and with such major companies coming down here, um, that have been established just recently here in the last five plus years, it's, it's just created this growth that I would I would say we weren't prepared for traffic wise but as far as space and location um, we had all all of the available needs and necessities and so a bubble I wouldn't say um, five or ten years from now I think we're still looking really strong our growth is looking really good um, for the most part it may be pacing out I know last year, we were experiencing home sales where there are over 75 people at one open house, putting wow. in 75 offers and making sometimes over $100,000 over the asking price offers. Wow. And so that lasted nearly, um, I think that lasted from about February of this year to about July or August and it died down. And now the market is barely starting to stabilize but even in stabilizing it's it's i haven't seen any forecast of a drop the numbers are still going up um consistently and sometimes um in double digits as well so let me share with you some numbers from uh, a survey that i was studying over the weekend the survey is from um, a partnership for new york city mm-hmm. and i think it will speak to what you guys are have on the horizon, all right? So on an average weekday, 28% of Manhattan office workers are in the workplace as of late October, 2021, only 28%. 8% of Manhattan office workers are in full-time five days a week, which means 92% have not returned to the office full-time. 10% are in four days a week. 12% 12% three days a week, 8% two days a week, 8% one day a week, and 54% of Manhattan office workers are still fully remote. 54%. So you touched on something um, a minute ago where you had said that some of the big companies are starting to relocate, right? And I think mm-hmm. that 
I think the first trend or the first run was folks that got to that point and said, you know what, we're done. We're either going to retire early or we just want to change a pace. Um, you know, we've talked about this on the show. It, it takes by most accounts of experts, somewhere around 60 to 65 days to break a habit and another 60 to 65 days to replace that habit. That habit could be smoking, eating, work habits, whatever it may be. Right. Uh, this thing went on for so long that folks have changed that habit of going and, you know, the, the rat race that we hear about in the major cities. And they've, they've exchanged that now and replaced it with a new habit that is this decentralized, not going in every day and working remotely. So the first run uh, that you saw, I believe, in, and we're seeing this in the Carolinas, we're seeing it in Florida, we're seeing it in Texas, we're seeing it in Arizona, um, of folks who just were ready at that point. They were ready to pack it in. They were ready for a <laughs> lifestyle change. But now you're going to see corporate America follow suit, and you're going to see physical relocations of these major yes. companies. And, and the ones that relocate, and even the ones that don't relocate, are going to start allowing for this decentralized remote work to be the norm moving forward. Right. So I think this next wave of folks might be bigger than the first wave where people are saying, okay, uh, our company is on board with this, right? So now we're going to pick up and we're going to, even if it's 70, 80%, 60% in some cases of what our salary was, we can go live like kings in certain parts of America. Let's get the heck out of here and live a little bit of a different lifestyle. So we're super bullish on those markets. I, and I, I, I always, I always, I'm sorry to cut you off. Um, I always uh, tell people when they come in from, you know, New York's and California's um, and Florida, some of those bigger markets with bigger, um, with, um, I, I would say, <laughs> state taxes. <laughs> but when some of those markets, when they come here, I always let them know, hey, for the price of a broom closet, in some of those states, you could be living large here in Texas. Um, and, and it's literally no joke. Like when I hear some of the prices for a, the price of a condo or apartment or a 1,400 square foot home and people are paying 800,000, a million for these items in other markets, then you come here to Texas and you spend $800,000 and you got a mansion. You, you got to, you have one of the you have a five or six bedroom house with a pool um, and acreage. And so when, when people start to see, as you mentioned, that physically changing the location can pretty much change your lifestyle completely, um, it, it's, it's gonna strike in many people. And those creatures of habits who've been forced to move and adjust to this, well, they'll find more easier reasons to adjust and move. Um, so I totally agree with you on that. Um, and I like that analyzation that the, the people and the employees um, were moving first, but now we're literally going to see the corporations changing and shifting um, people's um, location and perspectives. Yeah, well, look, the, the, the reason these, these cities have endured for as long as they have, these major cities, is because they were the employment capitals of the world, right? People right. wanted access to the jobs. And now that they can access the jobs remotely and they're relocating out of these major cities for mm -hmm. reasons like corporate tax rates and, and a number of other different reasons. I think that we're in the midst of a, a real a real shift. I don't think that this was an anomaly. I know there's a lot of folks out there that feel um, that things are gonna return to the way they were. 
uh, I think that that is absolutely not the case. I think that we're in a new world and I believe we're just at the beginning of that new world. I think that there's still quite a bit of change on the horizon. Absolutely, absolutely. With the, the way that money's going as well, just to throw that in the conversation, like we're in the middle of one of the greatest wealth transfer, transfers in, in the history of our nation. And so um, that blended with everything changing in the um, housing industry and the uh, and workforce industry is, is all moving together. They're moving pieces that are moving together and going to be affected together. So I, I agree with you. I don't think it's going to be the same again. And, and it doesn't necessarily have to be bad. Um, it just takes um, us being open to the change and the adjustments and uh, just learning some new techniques. Absolutely. Uh, look, if you're not growing, you're dead, right? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and you know, the, the world has, has given us through technology an opportunity to basically become pretty damn close to an expert in anything simply by logging onto your computer, right? I mean, there are so much information out there. There are so many people that are willing to share their knowledge for free just to put it out into the universe that there's really not a topic that you can land on that you can't research and find quality verified sources that will help you uh, bring yourself up to speed on that, that individual area. It, it's really an exciting time, man. We have access to information. I, I, it, it's hard. I think that people get lost in the shuffle and they don't take the time to realize and recognize the moment of time that we're in right now. Like, this is a wicked exciting time. It, very much so, James. I, I like that you said that. Um, it's wicked exciting because for the first time, we've had access to so much information in one place. And for the first time, it's scary because we have access to so much information in the same place. Right. And, so, and so what what I've seen when, in my own personal life is there was only excuses to not grow and learn from this information. So as I was saying a little earlier about, um, can I go to college or am I gonna have the skills to do this or this or that? Well, the birth of the internet, my curiosity was, hey, if I can't get it from school, I'm gonna go online. I'm gonna, work. I'm gonna ask Google and I'm gonna go to the library. I'm gonna go to all these alternatives, which was the, it's funny when you're living near a library, and you don't ever think to go to the library to grow or get information. But yep. when the internet came across, Google came across, and I was staying right next to a library, I was like, what all do you need from a schoolhouse that you don't have between the internet and a library? Like, all the information is right here in front of us now. And, and for me, that was golden. I first, I had the opportunity to take learning into my hands for the first time ever. And and it's been amazing for me. It, it's, a, it's a profound thing when you start to really look inward and kind of peel back the onion, if you will, mm -hmm. um, and, and start to recognize maybe some of the reasons why we didn't do this sooner or why we didn't you know, embark on this journey earlier in life. But once you move past those roadblocks, uh, book club, is probably the favorite thing for me that we do here. That and our creative meetings, just an opportunity to, to pour through 
and share and and you know pull and extract information from these amazing yes. books and from my my colleagues. Uh, it's been it's scary. You know, it's it's tough sometimes to look inward. Very tough if you're if you're being honest with yourself, and it's tough Absolutely. to. Uh, to admit that, you know, after being in the business, as long as we have, there are still so many things that we don't know, you know, it, but it's exciting as hell, man. It's been, it's been awesome. The book club for me is, is absolutely one of my favorite things that we do here. Book, books are our life to me. And when, when used wisely to me, you can give yourself so much information, so much wealth, um, so much currency, um, mind currency, emotional currency, so many things that are valuable in so many different ways by picking up a book that add value in your life in a lot of different ways. Um, I wasn't an avid reader when I went to, when I was in K through 12. I became an avid reader when, when I got sick and I got curious why I was sick. And so that led me on a path to get, get into like books on neuroscience, um, behavioral psychology, um, and how our, our brain transmitters um, deliver messages within our body. And so that made me see myself in a level, area I'd never seen myself before. And so I realized I was curious about psychology and the psychology of people. And so I have books all over the house like that because that was what was a calling to me. Um, unlike kind of growing up in school, I wasn't really into like the spooky story books and kind of fun books. But when it comes to the brain, I love those kinds of books because um, it, it, it's, it allows me to know that it's okay that things are always changing. Because guess what? All these tools are here to guide you through that change. Anything yeah. you think you're going through, somebody's been through it before. And they probably put it in a book for you to learn from it. And so I, I hold books dear to my heart now. And sometimes it doesn't matter what kind of book it is, long as you, you read it with intention or purpose. And sometimes that intention or purpose can just be to take a load off of life because so many things are going on in life sometimes. But for me, I typically pick up a book. I'm probably gonna dissect it, study it. I probably have split it in half. I might even start in chapter five just because that particular chapter has what I wanna go learn about. And then I'll read the rest of the book according to how I want to learn from the book. So I always tell people, I'm not a traditional book reader. I go into books to dissect them and see what I could extract from them. And then if I believe the rest of the book can teach me, then I'll, 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 fit, I'll finish the rest of it. So th there's a huge difference, right, between really doing anything uh, as, as we've kind of gone through the motions in life and being intentional, right? You had said intention. When, when you've got clear intention, uh, it opens up all sorts of doorways and pathways, right? And all these books that, that you're reading and I'm reading books on, on psychology, learning about the human mind, learning about how people uh, digest and, and perceive oftentimes information. At the end of the day, that makes us better deal makers, right? That makes us serve right. our clients better. Uh, it, without a doubt, you know, some people scoff at, at book club and, and they don't understand, you know, what, what value there is, uh, as it translates into the, the work world and you touched on two important things. Number one, it doesn't always have to be a self-help or, or book about 
work, right? It's important right. to have that downtime. Uh, but number two, so many of these things we're finding that we're using in our, you know, work world, if you will, and it's just made us outstanding deal makers. It's just raised our game to such a different level. Um, you know, you're, you've seen explosive growth down there, Thomas. I'm, I'm curious if we can get back to the market for a minute. Sure. Uh, how has the market responded from a construction perspective? Is, is there new construction? Are you seeing crane, cranes everywhere? Is, is it exploding or has that not happened yet? Or what's happening down there? I would say Austin's been in, in a construction zone for years now. You know, um, some of our major highways and downtown areas have been expanding for years now. Some of the work has been backed up uh, for years now. Um, you're going to see cranes everywhere when you go downtown um, because that's just that's what most people know Austin for our downtown area, our, our some of our skyscrapers and tall buildings, our capitals down there. Uh, but what you'll also see is in the outskirts and in the suburbs where a lot of homes that were being built, new, new builds last year, actually ended up being backed up. Um, I have uh, new builds being completed. It's about 45 minutes outside of Austin. It's called Lago Vista. And it's one of the suburbs that people are going out to if they want to enjoy some lake life and also some hill country life. And I was... I'm doing a build out there with um, some of my clients and their home was supposed to be completed in August and we're looking at finishing it in December now. But um, a lot of those builders stopped taking on new builds to catch up with their old builds from when COVID started. Makes so sense. That, that's what you'll see echoing all, all around the city right now. Now, some are catching back up since our state had opened back up this year around March or April. Um, but um, as I was saying, those things are still delayed in some areas for sure. And are you seeing now changes or discussion about changes to zoning? Are you seeing people starting to push back on density? Has that started to happen yet? Um, I wouldn't say we've seen a change on the zoning much because we had the opportunity zones in, introduced to our state um, a, a, a few years ago. And so I would say maybe that's already been set in stone and in place to start moving, um, moving zones. So it wasn't necessarily affected by Corona, but um, opportunity zones were definitely introduced a few years ago. I'm a big fan of the opportunity zones. Uh, I've done a mm -hmm. good bit of work in them and, and I, I think that they're a, a great tool uh, to help foster investment. Um, you, you do a lot of work with first-time home buyers and, and first-time investors. Is there a reason specifically? Can you kind of put your finger on why you chose the the, the, the first-time home buyer or the first-time investor uh, as a as a point of focus for you? Absolutely. Um, I, well, kind of what you said earlier. Um, if you're not learning, you're you're dead or you're dying. And if you're not growing, you're dead, you're dying. And so I, I started real estate back in 2012 without a plan, without intention, just thinking I could just go in and make some money like it was I was pushing a nine to five clock. And, and so metaphorically, I ended up dying in real estate. So about two years ago, I, I came back into the business full time, 100 percent. And I said, I'm going to service a particular market of people. And I'm going to create a niche for a particular market of people. 
And this is what people are going to know me for. And so that two years has went by. And I am now known as the realtor here in Central Austin that you could also partner up with me on deals. Or I, I might even be negotiating my commission to close some deals with you. You know, it just depends on what, what type of um, um, deals that we have on the table. But that is something that I told myself that was important because I believe anyone um, that does great business, they're a master at something. And so instead of spreading myself thin, like I did before, I said, I'm going to become a master in these two realms and people will be able to at least depend on me in these two realms. And so those, those were the primary reasons that I was seeing that everybody who was great at something, they were a master at something and they weren't spreading themselves thin. A tremendous, tremendous response, tremendous advice for folks out there. Uh, when, when you start dabbling in too many disciplines, um, you get lost mm -hmm. and you really have to demonstrate excellence in a specific niche and you'll find the market will respond to you because just like we're out there looking for information in other areas, folks are out there looking for information and experts in real estate, right? Right, right. So- of expertise, I like that. Absolutely. So are, are you, do you have any plans of expanding beyond the, the Texas market at this point? Or are you staying- Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, you know, as you know yourself, this is a relationship business. Mm -hmm. And that has been the, the foundation to my, my growth in my business. And being that I'm meeting people from all over the country, in some circumstances, the world, you know, we have these discussions and talks about investing in other places. You know, Albany, New York has even came up a, a few times, just because it looks like it's in a, in a, place where it's being revitalized right now itself so i think some things are dirt cheap out there um i met some some fellas out in um, san diego last year who were in the construction business who were curious about investing in real estate and so we have we have our constant dialogue about california and what's what's going on over there and what is it going to be like in a few years after all of their big corporations are in texas and not california <laughs> and so it's it's these talks about different markets and um, I think it's important to try to break into these other markets because sometimes you you don't want to limit yourself to any particular market if you're focused on investing. Sometimes you just need to find a market where you could trust the numbers, find some people there that you can trust and just invest there. I love it. And again, these tools are making it so much easier to connect with folks um, from all over the country and 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 really glean some amazing information and make sound decisions. I think there's a, a trepidation. People are nervous about investing outside of a place where they can touch it and feel it. But right. the tools available to us today have made made it so much easier, man. It's just a different world. Exactly. It's going to be able to touch it and feel it when virtual reality gets to work. Yep. Right? There's, a, there's a reason Facebook changed their name to Meta, right? Like it's yeah. coming. It's coming. I've watched so, Black Mirror. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if you could offer one piece of advice for a first-time investor, what would the advice be? Get a mentor. Mm. Get a mentor. It doesn't hurt to ask questions to the right people. I think a lot of people get discouraged about asking questions because they're asking the people who don't want to see their growth. Get a mentor who wants to see your growth. 
that's outstanding, Thomas. How do people find you? What's the, the best way for folks to connect with you? You can find me on Instagram at Mr. T Hopes. That is M-R-T-H-O-P-E-S, like you have high hopes. Um, you can also find me on Facebook at Thomas Hopes Investment Solutions, um, as it sounds, or at um, Facebook as just Thomas Hopes as well. Well, we really appreciate the time here, folks. All the information on how to reach out and connect with Thomas will Thank be below. All. This was a, a great conversation. Best of luck, Thomas. I appreciate it. You have a great one. Thank you. Bye. I appreciate you. Stay safe, everybody.